All right, who's ready for the word today? <clears throat> so I'm excited, very excited um, uh, about what the Lord has, has put on my heart to share. Let's start by telling you that um, on Thursday afternoon of this week, the Lord just completely changed directions on me for what he had uh, prepared for this weekend. And so, you know, it seems like the Lord's been doing that a lot lately, and so I had to have a talk with God. You know, I, I had to help God understand, Jen, that by Thursday afternoon, I mean, I have 20 plus hours invested in preparing for this message, and you know, weekends come around with pretty alarming regularity. Did you ever notice that? And Thursday afternoon doesn't leave much time. So I had to have a talk with God, and he won, as he always does. But um, in all seriousness, when this happened, it was like the Lord dropped this thing in my spirit in a moment, and it just became a, a burden type of word that I've been carrying for the last couple of days. And it has been a heavy, heavy thing. Um, is the only way I know to explain it to you. And I feel like it is not only a message where, yes, there will be preaching and teaching and you will be fed the word of God, but I, I believe with all of my heart that this message is a prophetic word for the church and the people of God right now. So what do you do with that? I present that to you, and I ask you to listen intently for what the Spirit is saying to you today. Ask yourself the question, is this the word of the Lord? Because if this is the word of the Lord, as you'll see as we go through, there are implications for every one of us once we hear this. And so I've been carrying this thing, and it's been heavy. The enemy always attacks, but I have felt in the last couple of days, a very heightened level of attacks that have been coming against me, in my mind, in my body, everything, way more than normal. I believe that the enemy desperately wants to prevent this word from getting out and being heard and revealed to God's people. And I've even prayed as I've got in my car and been driving places, and you know, you always pray and ask God to protect you or whatever, but every time I've got in my car and started driving down the highways, I've been praying for God to protect me, because I feel like the enemy is really on the attack right now. And so, you're all aware, of course, that the conditions in our country have been very t troubling, trialsome for the last number of months. But what I'm saying to you today is I believe that the Lord has said, that the attack of the enemy just went to a new level in our nation. That it just went to a new level. We've seen over the last few weeks that there has been a lot of exposure around a terrible corruption and evil in the area of child trafficking. It's been brought out into the light. It's, it's been going on. We know that. But it's all of a sudden being exposed and it runs way deeper than I think any of us ever even realized. And then here this last week, there was the innocent killing of a young five-year-old boy in North Carolina riding his bike, executed in front of his two sisters in front of his home. 
and I have just been torn apart by this. Now, I know that we hear about killings all of the time, but for me, something was different about this. I feel like the level of attack that the enemy has been bringing against our nation with a spirit of division and discord went to a new level recently, almost like a shift, where now the enemy has set his sights on beginning to attack the lives of the innocent, that he has taken this thing to a new level. This killing for me was different. It was wide out, right out in the open, wide open, everybody to see. It's almost like, what are we going to do with this now? And I heard the Lord say, as clearly as I've ever heard the Lord speak, I heard him say on Thursday afternoon to me, I hear the cries of the innocent. And it pierced my heart immediately thought of the words God spoke to Cain after he killed Abel. He said, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It was like the Lord was saying, I hear the cries of the innocent, and I'm calling my people to rise up and oppose this evil because the enemy has just taken the attack to a new level in this country. So, before we get into the word, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to speak to us today, God. We ask you to speak to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you want to say. I pray that you would speak through me, use me. God, I am nothing without you. I tremble before you, Lord. Please give me strength to share what you have put in my heart that I've been carrying, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, if you have them, and we're going to read actually out of the Passion Translation, so if you want to follow that on the screen, you can. Verse 13, it begins, says that they had brought little children to Jesus so that he would lay hands on them, bless them, and pray for them. But the disciples scolded those who brought the children, saying, don't bother him with this now. Jesus overheard them and said, I want little children to come to me, so never interfere with them when they want to come. For heaven's kingdom realm is composed of beloved ones like these. Listen to this truth. No one will enter the kingdom realm of heaven unless he becomes like one of these. Then he laid his hands on each of them and went on his way. I think one of the things that we immediately draw out of these passages, and we can get this from reading throughout all of the Gospels, is that Jesus has a special place in his heart for little children. We see that about the character and nature of Jesus and the way that he relates to little children in the Scriptures. How many of you remember the song, or you still sing the song over your kids, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we sang that over our kids as they've grown and still over our younger ones. And it is amazing to me, I can't fully explain this, but even in the heart of a young child at the age of 
faculty of reasoning isn't even developed yet, that there's still a response from a child's heart when they hear the words that Jesus loves them and that Jesus is protecting them. Jesus has a special place in his heart for little children. Over the time in ministry, I've had what I consider to be three very distinct calls. The first call that I heard from the Lord was the call to go into full-time ministry in 2011 when I left the business world and began to pursue God's call vocationally. The second time I heard a call from the Lord is when we planted this church. It was in 2015 when I heard the call. We planted it in 2016. And obviously both of those calls, when, you, when I heard them, there was a, a zeal and an excitement that you know, Katie and I both had whenever the Lord spoke that. There was a third call a couple years ago, and I don't think I've ever shared this publicly before, and I'm sharing now, I think you'll understand why, um, but I felt like the Lord said a couple years ago, as we were seeing fruit in the church, that he, I felt like he said, son, I'm going to use you in the body of Christ at large in this generation. Now, of course, initially I got zealous and excited about that as well. Lord, use me. I want to make you famous. I want to be very transparent with you that quickly after I was excited about that, in this particular case, I started to become fearful. I started to become scared because my mind and my thoughts immediately went to the place where I realized if this is actually going to happen, then me and my family are going to become a target like we've never been before. And I began to negotiate with God. Now, I don't recommend that. (laughs) But in our humanness, we do this. And most of the time when I do this, I don't hear anything. But I heard something this time. And I said, Lord, I want to make a deal with you. If this is what you want me to do, I will accept it, but you have got to promise me that you will protect my babies. I said, because I know where this goes, and if this ends up with me losing one of them as a result of this, I don't think that I can bear it. I don't think I can. Would you just take it and give it to another? And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, son, they were mine before they were yours. Do you not trust them more in my hands than you even do in your own hands? And there was this peace that came over me, this letting go moment. And I would encourage parents to be seeking the Lord for this same kind of moment where you're releasing your kids in a way into the hands of Almighty God, that he would protect them and watch over them in a way where we are incapable of even doing and trust him even more than we trust ourselves. It brings me a great peace. He said, I'm asking you to never stop praying for them. And to this day, when we pray for our kids Every night when they go to bed, we pray many things, but we pray God's protection over their lives, that he would watch over their safety. Katie and I can recount from our perspective with certainty that on two occasions, 
at least two that we are aware of, that the enemy tried to take the lives of one of our kids. And we were reminded that God's sovereignty and his protection is greater than the attacks of the enemy. And so I've seen and I've watched in my own life the truth and the reality that Jesus has a special place in his heart for little children. The disciples responded in an interesting way whenever the people in the room or the area where they were at and Jesus was teaching started to bring a bunch of little kids to him. The disciples started to rebuke the children and, and said, whoa, what are you doing? Hey, hold up, hold the phone. It's almost like they were saying, hey guys, uh, we're busy with kingdom stuff right now. Pretty important things going on here with the master. He's teaching and he's showing us his ways. Can, can we get the little kids out of here so they're not disrupting the kingdom stuff that's happening? It's funny when you think about it, isn't it? That was how they reacted. And Jesus' response, read this and study this, Jesus' response was this kind of authoritative, whoa, hold up. He says, stop that right now and never interfere. Never try to prevent one of these little ones from getting close to me. Don't you ever get in the way of that. It's like Jesus was saying, yeah, guys, of course we're busy with kingdom work right now. Of course I'm teaching you my ways right now. Of course I'm revealing more of myself to you right now that you may know me more. But you're missing a huge point. And the point is, you can't separate my kingdom works, me and my ways, from the love that I have for little children. They are one in the same. And he's saying, if you want my ways, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, then you have to have a heart for little children like I do as well. Those are inseparable. He says, I'm telling you that in heaven, in the heaven realm, it's filled with beloved little ones like this. Now, I've had the question a lot through the years. Do children go to heaven? In fact, one year, this has probably been six, seven years ago, uh, horrible situation. I had to do a funeral for a two-year-old little girl who the mother of the child, or the boyfriend of the mother beat the kid to death. I had to do this funeral. Horrible situation. And you hear these questions, do, do children go to heaven? Now I want to give you my opinion on this because I know scripture says we're all born into the world with sin. None is righteous. No, not one. We have to be forgiven in order to enter heaven. I, I understand that, okay? But I'm going to give you my opinion and I'm going to support that with some scripture. There's more that I don't have time to go through today, but I just want to tell you that, what I think. I believe that little children are in heaven. I believe with all my heart that they are. Zechariah, the prophet, says this in chapter 8, verse 5, when he's talking about the future kingdom of New Jerusalem. This is when Jesus returns and the new kingdom is set up, a perfect kingdom. He says this, in the streets of that city, it shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. 
Isaiah says it this way in chapter 11, also speaking about the future kingdom. And you'll see the language is demonstrating perfect peace. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. He's speaking about paradise. He's speaking about peace. And you see in these statements that it's those, this place is filled with little children. David himself, when he lost his son, was praying for God to heal his son while he was still sick. And his son didn't get healed and he died. And he got up from praying and he went in to eat and to go uh, uh, leave the, t- the sanctuary. And his counselors were like, why are you leaving? Why aren't you praying anymore? He said, well, he's gone. And he can no longer come to me. But now I will go to him. Is an understanding of a reunion that would take place. You understand that, right? So for these reasons and many other reasons, I believe with all my heart a God who is long-suffering and merciful somehow that, that little children are in heaven when they have not reached a point where they are able to be accountable for the decision to receive or reject Christ. This is what I think. But it's clear throughout Scripture that Jesus has a special place in his heart for little kids. Let's read in Mark chapter 9. Starting out in verse 33, Jesus came to Capernaum and he was in the house and he asked the disciples, what is it that you were disputing among yourselves while you were on the road? And then they kept silent for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And then he sat down, called the 12 to him and said this, anyone, if anyone desires to be first, then he should be last and servant of all. Now listen, then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. Now here he again, he takes a little child and he, he's using the child to teach them a lesson. And when he had taken him in his arms, so Jesus wraps the little child in his arms and embraces him. He said to them, whoever receives one of these little ones, these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. So he embraces this child, wraps him in his arms. He says, this is what you need to understand. Whoever receives one of these little children, let me say it another way, whoever cares for and takes care of one of these little children who comes to their aid, you're doing it for me. He goes forward in verse 42 and says, this is, now this is a warning, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Cause one of these little ones to stumble also means whoever endangers or brings harm to one of the lives of these innocent little children, there's a punishment for that. I'm not going to put up with that. You see that. Jesus issues a command. We are to care for little children the way he does, and we are to make sure that we do not bring harm or that we oppose those who bring harm to the lives of the innocent. 
He says it this way in the Passion Translation. If anyone abuses one of these little children who believe in me, it would be better for him to have a heavy boulder tied around his neck. Matthew 18.10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father. Now, yes, I believe from these verses that children, that God puts angels around little children to watch over them. I believe that. I know these scriptures can be interpreted differently, so that's why I'm telling you this is what I believe. But I approach the scriptures literally, always, and that's the way we should in the beginning. And I believe that that's what Jesus is saying, that that I have angels watching over the lives of the innocent. And those angels are always looking to the face of the Father to, to receive his commands. But he also says, whoever despises one of these little ones. Listen, this is what really wrecked me this week. To despise means, of course, to think lowly of, but it also means to disregard or to neglect. And this is what I heard the Lord say. The enemy has just taken the attack to a new level, and he is now moving towards an all-out assault on the lives of the innocent in this nation. And I am calling my people to wake up. And to see that this is not okay. And that it's not okay to sit back and watch and not take a position on this. Those who disregard, those who neglect or do not do something about when one of these little children are being harmed, there's a consequence for this. There's a command and there's a warning that Jesus is issuing. And I feel like... In our nation and in our land, because the enemy has been allowed to gradually move in more and more, that it has got to the point where now he is launching this all-out assault on the lives of the innocent. And God is telling his people, you better rise up. You better rise up. Because this is what happens. I'm going to show you this today. When a nation goes through a process of decay and deterioration, and God is long-suffering and merciful, But a nation will go through a process of decay and deterioration, ultimately to the final point that it gets to, that when the lives of the innocent are no longer being protected, it's a tipping point. It's a trigger for something of judgment to begin to come and for God's hand of protection to begin to come off. So the title of the message today is Tipping Point, if you're taking notes, because I believe that the Lord is saying we need to have ears to hear. And we need to be ready to do something now before it's too late. The first point that I want to make and I want to take you through this process is called cultural decay. Cultural decay. And we get this pattern by studying, of course, the nation of Israel all throughout history, other nations in history as well, but especially looking at the books of Kings and Chronicles. This is what you'll find is that the process of deterioration is a process. It's not an all-out, one-time event. But there is a tipping point. There is a, a place where God's hand finally comes off and judgment and wrath ensue. And you, we ask ourselves these questions sometimes, at least I do. How, I don't, how could we ever really get to a point where we're that blind? 
You ever thought that, like when you read about Revelation and how it's going to be and how the nation of Israel got to these places where like God parted the Red Sea and then 40 days later they're building a golden calf? Like, you think, how in the world does this happen, you know? Listen, the enemy is very cunning. He's very deceptive, and it's a slippery slope. It's a process, and it builds momentum, and he will continue to elevate his foothold every chance that he gets. And I believe with all my heart, let the Lord speak to you, but I believe that God said that he just took the attack to the final point. He just took it to the final level, which is the attack on the lives of the innocent. The first thing that we see in a process of cultural decay is we see that God begins to be removed out of society. Let's look at Israel, and then let's think about our world today. Because I, I, I believe that this pattern is repeating itself in front of our eyes right now. Okay? In the nation of Israel in these times, God was removed from society. The places of worship, the temple, the festivals, all of the sacred and holy things to God all of a sudden begin to be disregarded. They begin to be set aside. Even the temples themselves are no longer used for the holy things that they're intended to be used for. The festivals are no longer honored and upheld the way God had commanded us to, commanded them to. And so we look around in our world, and what have we seen? Where is God in government? Where is God in schools? He was there before. He's not really there anymore. He's being moved out, right? The festivals, it's considered offensive now, to say Merry Christmas, right? God is being removed. The second step that a process of decay leads to is that idols are instilled. Idols begin to be put in place where God is supposed to be. Israel began to build shrines, temples in the high places to worship the other false gods of the Canaanites. They were led astray. God is a jealous God. He will not mix with other gods and take an equal place with them. That's what they thought they could do. So let's just, this is just tolerance, folks. We just all need to know that there's not one way. We just need to all respect everybody's opinion. The problem is the gospel does not permit that. It does not permit that. Idols are instilled. We say sometimes when we think of idols, well, that's like a golden calf and a shrine. Listen to me. An idol is anything that begins to exalt itself equal to or above the place of God in your heart or in society. We can have personal idols and there can be cultural idols. Israel developed cultural idols. Today, cultural ideals and ideologies are being exalted to the place of idolatry. And the third thing that that leads to is immorality becomes rampant. Immorality becomes rampant as the decay goes deeper and deeper. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Immorality becomes so rampant that what we once called good, people now call bad. And what was once called bad is now called good. Lines that were very clear become very gray, foggy, and hazy. And it becomes widely 
accepted. Listen, as evil spirits of hell begin to pervade a land, it escalates. The deterioration grows. The forces of darkness get stronger in their hold over a region or an area. And they are seducing spirits. They're seducing the hearts of God's people away from him and to these idols. And we look upon these things and say, how could that be? But I'm telling you right now that Paul told Timothy, when it gets close to the end, even those who were, we thought following the Lord will be turned away. And it'll get worse and worse and worse. It'll increase. He said, those who are being deceived and are deceiving. Many will resist good and they will resist the truth. They will despise God's ways. He says this will build and this will increase. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been watching for the last few months people that I know just somehow connected to or have past connections with that are in ministry. And if I'm being very frank, I was always a little questionable about them to begin with. And I've been watching and it's blowing my mind some of the things that some of these people are teaching right now. That I cannot even understand how in the world they could confuse that with the gospel. And they're heralding these ideals like this is truth. It's a slippery slope. And the decay continues to go. Paul said to Timothy, he said, this is what I'm telling you to do, Timothy. Preach the word. He said, I'm telling you to preach the word. Listen. Because itching ears and unstable men will falter and not endure, but sound doctrine will endure. So I'm telling you this right now. My commitment, and I, I encourage you to dive into this as well, we will not depart from this right here. We will contend for sound doctrine. I will commit myself to this word more than anything else that I do. So that if it's in here, we're going to preach it. And we're going to teach it. Every single part of it from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to preach it and we're going to teach it. And if it's not in here and it tickles people's ears, it's not going to be taught and it's not going to be preached, no matter what the consequences of that may be. Because I've learned that the word of God endures. And this is our weapon and our tool against the forces of darkness. When Paul wrote this book to Timothy, he was in jail. And he said, Timothy, I may be in chains, but the word of God is not chained. It will not be stopped and held up. If you'll commit to preaching this word, I will build my church and I'll build my people through the truth of the word of God. We're going to stick to this thing. But people are being drawn away by seducing spirits. And this pattern is repeating itself today. Listen to this in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now the Spirit, Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Never grounded to begin with. Giving heed to deceiving spirits. This is very disturbing. Listen to this. And doctrines of demons. Picture a funnel in people's ears right now and demons just pouring doctrine into their heads. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared like an iron. Branded, unable to even see or recognize the truth anymore. So hardened to it that they're never going to let it in. 
This is a pattern of decay. We get to the final place that we see in these patterns. The final place is when the lives of the innocent are no longer being protected. When the lives of the innocent are now in danger and under attack and God's people aren't doing something to stop it. And when that happens, listen, the hand that is God's hand of strength and protection, that when it rests over and resides over us, we are under his wings in the shadow of the Almighty. When that happens and the nation gets to that place, God's hand comes off. And the grace and protection that was once enjoyed, the evidence of it no longer being there is right in front of their faces. This is a cry in Psalms chapter 74 of God's people who are recognizing that the enemy is overrunning their land. They're recognizing that the hand of the Lord somewhere along the line has come off. Listen to this, Psalm 74. Listen, I want you to think about this for just a second. (laughs) When I read these verses, I want you to ask yourself the question, are these things happening right now? Okay, listen to the language. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. This is the psalmist speaking to God. They set up their banners for signs, waving them in the streets, celebrating their corruption. They seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees, and now they break down its carved work all at once with axes and hammers. They have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They have said in their hearts, let us destroy them altogether. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. So I'm going to say to you what I think. We've seen a lot of things that have been destroyed, attacked, and been burned down. Let me tell you something. We haven't seen this yet. But houses of worship filled with people of God are not immune from these kinds of attacks. You understand that? As the enemy intensifies, what do you think he wants to do? He wants the places that were once sacred to the Lord to become houses of idolatry to him. He's attacking, folks. He is attacking. Last thing that the psalmist says in verse 11, Lord, why do you withdraw your hand, your right hand? Because he sees, Lord, somewhere along the line, your hand has come off. And he's crying out, God, bring your hand back. We see this process of cultural decay. And what ends up happening is eventually it reaches its tipping point. Okay, the Bible speaks about something that's called the cup of iniquity. Follow me for a moment. When God was leading Abraham around in Canaan to show him the promised land that he would inherit that was a part of his blessing, he was also showing him the enemies that were in the land. And many of those enemies are called Canaanites. And God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push them out of the land. He said something very interesting in Genesis 15, 16. He said, but not yet. He said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Let me say it another way. The sins or the iniquity, the cup of iniquity of the Canaanite people has not yet reached its full point. So what is the cup of iniquity? If you can picture it, it's like, say, a cup 
that is filling with sin. And it continues to fill. And when it gets to its brim and spills over, the cup of iniquity is full. And when the cup of iniquity is full, then the cup of God's wrath gets poured out. The Amorites were dealt with when Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land some four or five hundred years later. But God said that the cup of iniquity of the Canaanite people, it's not full yet. Now, there's a cup of iniquity, let's say, in our own lives and a cup of iniquity corporately in a nation. As we sin and err against the ways of God, this cup fills. Now, praise God, he has made a way through a path of Jesus' blood called repentance. So when we repent, cup gets empty, cup gets empty. God's merciful. He's long-suffering. He allows this to build for a time. Okay, But then when it reaches its point and it's unrepented of, the cup of iniquity spills over. That's why God says in Chronicles, cry out to me and repent as a people and I'll heal your land. Dump the cup. The cup of iniquity continues to fill. We see in uh, the story of Sodom that God told Abraham, Sodom has reached its point. Basically, the cup of iniquity was full for Sodom. He said, I'm, I'm going to pour out my wrath over Sodom. And Abraham cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, would you spare the city if there's 50 righteous people in it? And, he, and the Lord said, yes, I will. I'll spare the city if you can find for me 50 righteous people there. So I guess he couldn't find 50 because then he said, well, Lord, will you spare the city if, you could, if there's 45? The Lord said, sure, I'll spare the city if there's 45 righteous. He goes through this whole process, 40, 30, 20, 10. Will you spare the city if there's 10 righteous people, Lord? Yes, I'll spare the city if you can find for me 10 righteous. Couldn't find 10 righteous. Cup of wrath, judgment, God's cup was poured out because their cup of iniquity was full. There were only four that were found. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And one of the four backslid on the way out of the city. His wife, pillar of salt. Remember that? What's the point? It means that the cup of iniquity, the decay had run so deep that the tipping point had triggered and God's judgment had come. And so we also see when we look at that story that the righteous who were there were still protected and spared. Do you see that? When God moves this way, his people, the righteous, are still protected and preserved. Lot's family was still spared, even in the midst of that cup being poured out. Listen, Psalm 75, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. In Revelation chapter 14, when we're looking at the end of the tribulation period, it says, the angel says to John, he says that the spirit of Babylon has now uh, caused everyone to drink of its iniquity and it is full. And so the wrath of God is now being poured out. Spirit of Babylon is the world's order and world system that's under the reign of the Antichrist in the end times. It's a figurehead to the ancient empire of Babylon that overtook God's people in the earlier years. And he says when that spirit's cup of iniquity in the world has reached its full point, that's when the end of the tribulation comes. 
And that's the final judgment and the final outpouring of God's wrath that restores the world into its new Jerusalem form. And so we see that this, this time is coming. It's just a matter of time before it gets to this point. And I feel like the Lord is saying we're close. And we need to rise up and we need to do something about this because the cup is getting full. So my second point, if you're taking notes, is a Molech spirit. Because this final stage of decay is marked by the sacrifice of innocent lives. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 25. I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 18, verses 20 through 25. The Lord is speaking to Moses about the commands that he wants the people to follow. And if they don't, he speaks about the consequences. Okay? Listen to this. Again, think of today's times. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. Nor shall any of you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman is abomination. Did you hear what I just read? And then you jump down to verse 25. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. So when this happens... The righteous are protected, but evil is purged from a land. It reaches the point where it's like God says, my people are to be holy. This evil has reached such a point of corruption that now I'm going to have to act in a form of judgment, and I'm going to have to deal with this situation to purge evil out of this area and out of this land. And he moves and he deals. But do you notice that he says there in those verses, he says, do not allow your children to pass through the fire to Molech. What is this about? Folks, I think that this is very, very pertinent to where we're at today. You see, Molech was a Canaanite god. And when the people would worship to Molech, they would do that by way of child sacrifice. They would bring their children, and this is terrible to hear, okay? They would bring their children, and they would put them in the fires to sacrifice them to Molech. You say, how is that even possible? How could a parent do that? Cultural ideals, idolatry, became exalted above the command to protect the lives of the innocent. It was no longer regarded as more important than idolatry or ideologies. Molech, if you study this, is a king spirit, meaning a reigning spirit. It's the way the enemy works. He escalates and elevates his place. You know, there are different kinds of demonic spirits, right? Some of them are stronger than others, They work their way in. They get more and more of a foothold and a place. And then eventually, what the Bible refers to as a Molech spirit is a king spirit or a reigning spirit, which means it begins to set in and reign over a region. It's important to note these evil spirits cannot just come in 
and occupy places unless they are permitted to and given ground. The Molech spirit is a reigning spirit in the sense that it sets in and reigns and rules over a region. It's very powerful, very demonic, very much from the pit of hell. When Daniel was praying, the angel Michael came to him and said, I heard your prayers, but I didn't get here right away. Listen, he said, because I was held up battling with the prince of Persia. Prince is a ruling spirit over a principality, a region and an area. Persia at that time was an enemy of God's people, and they were being ruled and reigned by an evil demonic spirit that had resided over the region. Molech is a reigning spirit. And if it is given a place to come in as society decays, then that evil spirit, a king spirit, could come in and set up reign and begin to rule through powers of darkness over a region. We thought it was dark before. It's darker than we could ever imagine. Child sacrifice is the ultimate place that the spirit of Molech leads the people to. There was writings in the 1600s. A guy named Milton wrote a book called Paradise Lost, and he said when there is a a Molech act, it's an act that costs you something dearly, costs you more than anything else could cost you. That's how I use that language. We know that we've seen societies get to this place where child sacrifice becomes something that's accepted. Pharaoh, back in Egypt, wanted to kill all of the males in Israel because he was afraid of them growing. His lust for power and greed was greater than his compassion for these young children. Child sacrifice happened. What happened? When God moved in Egypt, all of the firstborn of the Egyptians were slain. God reversed that back on them. Herod, when Jesus was born, heard about the Messiah, and what did he do? He went and made sure all the firstborn males in Jerusalem were killed to try and kill Jesus because he was so thirsty for power and jealous that he would lose his reign. And he sacrificed all the firstborn in Jerusalem to this ideal. When we were in Israel uh, two years ago, we were in Bethlehem, and we went to this church that was a place close to where Jesus was believed to have been born, and we went down underneath the church, and we were in these caves, and while we were in these caves, the tour guide said something that just rocked every one of us. She said, you know, in these caves, when archaeologists uncovered all of the ruins. Remember how Herod sacrificed all of the children in Jerusalem? They found all kinds of infant bones and remains in these caves. You say, Pastor, you know, you're talking about child sacrifice, burning children in the fires, killing them. You know, how does that relate? This is what I'm trying to say. This is what I believe the Lord is saying. Child sacrifice can look like us turning our heads turning our eyes away and disregarding our mandate to protect the lives of the innocent that cannot protect themselves in a reason of exalting cultural ideals over more important than our mandate to do this. When it reaches this place, it has reached a point of decay that goes so deep that the Lord has to act. When we look at the books of kings, we see there's a succession of two kings that were very, very wicked and evil. One was named King Manasseh, and his son was named King Ammon. King Ammon's son was King Josiah. 
There were two generations of wickedness with Manasseh and Ammon. Manasseh, the Bible says, caused his own son to pass through the fires of Molech. And it says that his son Ammon followed in his evil ways. Two generations deep of decay. That's how quickly that evil set in. King Josiah comes along one day and says he did right in the eyes of the Lord. One day the priest by the name of Hilkiah is walking over into the temple and he finds the word of God. He finds the scriptures. And he says, oh my gosh, I've got to show these to the king. Now this tells you that when the decay gets so deep after so long, it's hard to even find the word of God in the land. And King Josiah hears the priest read the the word. And the first thing he does is he tears his clothes, which is a sign of lamenting and his heart being torn for the things that God's heart is tearing for. Let me tell you something. If we're a people of God and we're listening to the Holy Spirit, our hearts should be tearing for the things that God's heart is tearing for. That's a true sign of a believer that walks closely with the Lord. And the cries of our heart and our prayers align with the things that are breaking God's heart. Does that make sense? So Josiah begins to read the word of God to the people out loud, and they all respond with the same type of reaction. They repent, and they ask God, please God, how did we get here? Come into our land again. And you know what Josiah does? Him and the people take action. It says they go to the high places. They destroy all of the shrines that have been made by their fathers to the idols. They don't just tear them down. They destroy them. They grind them and pulverize them into dust. They burn them and spread their ashes across the land. Showing that they are going to uproot this idolatry and this iniquity that has managed to set in. They're going to uproot it and exterminate it for good during their generation. They restore the festivals and they begin to prosper again under the hand of the Lord. It's like there is a turning and a shifting that happens from the path of decay that they were headed down, and when they rise up and the Word of God begins to set in over the land again, the whole process turns and pivots and is reversed down a path of blessing again over God's people. I feel like that's what God is saying to us today. We have got to turn this ship. We have got to see where the battle just went. And we've got to stand up and oppose evil that's trying to come against and attack the lives of the innocent in our nation. And God will hear our prayers. King Josiah did this in 2 Kings 23 verse 10. It says, he defiled Topeth which is the shrine in the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is where they made the sacrifices. He said he defiled it or destroyed it, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire of Molech. This is never going to happen again on my watch, is what he says. And he rips the thing down. And the word of God begins to get spread. It's like sweet honey to their lips and to their soul as the word of God begins to be given a place again in society. I'm contending for that in our land, in our nation, where not only in churches, but in government and in schools, God's voice begins to be heard once more like it was in the early days. The the word of God is so sweet. Malachi 2 verse 7, it says, the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. 
And we know now all of us have access to the word of God and to revelation, not just to preach. But it says we come to hear the teaching and the preaching of the word of God and we feast on it for ourselves. We can't get enough of it. We crave it. And this is the truth that anchors our lives. That everything else is held up against to test it and sift it to see what it is, it is for what it is. The last point that I want to get to is something that the Bible calls the remnant. The remnant. A remnant is a small remaining amount of something. And it refers to the remnant in the Bible as the remaining amount of God's people who are still serving him and standing on his word during a time of great calamity in a land. We know that if there was enough of a remnant in Sodom, God would have spared it. When Elijah was sent back to Jerusalem and to Ahab after the drought, God said, I have preserved 7,000 in Israel, a remnant who have not bowed their knee to Baal. When there is a remnant that exists in the land, listen, the remnant can shift the direction of the spiritual climate, can shift the direction. The prayers of the remnant reach the throne room of heaven. Revelation 8, which precedes the event in 14 that I spoke about with the outpouring of God's wrath. It speaks about the remnant on the earth, which are those who are living through tribulation, many being martyred, cries of the martyrs. This is what it says. It says that the prayers of the remnant of the saints were like incense that reached up into the throne room of heaven. God is asking right now, will your heart break for the things that my heart is breaking for? Will you pray with fervor and with passion like there is a burden in you for the lives of the innocent in your land. And if you will pray for that, if we will rise up and pray our prayers, I'm telling you, will reach the throne room of heaven. God will hear and God will move. God has always responded to the prayers of the remnant. And when he does, there is a shift that occurs. Evil begins to get purged and righteousness begins to flourish. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that righteousness exalts a nation. When people of God are living rightly and serving him, then God begins to elevate and hold up and protect the people of that land. As evil is purged, righteousness continues to flourish as well. This is what happens when the Lord begins to move in response to the prayers of the remnant. We see that when this occurs, that there is a major shift in society that happens. It's usually very abrupt, like in the time of Josiah. Proverbs says, "...the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous." God said to Job, the evil will heap up silver, but the just will wear it. The prophet Zephaniah said that those who are proud in themselves will attempt to build cities, but they will not inhabit them. The humble shepherds of God will. There's a shifting 
You see that, that occurs when God begins to move. But look, folks, our heart, this is what I'm trying to say today. What, what, what do we do? What can we do? Our heart is to pray and to cry out to God for the fires of revival. Because God's judgment in past times came by fire and iniquity was purged out of a land. God did move that way. And it does look like that at the end in Revelation. But we're in the church era, and this is what Jesus inaugurated in the church era. John and James, sons of thunder, when they were in the village of a Samaritan village, and the people weren't hearing Jesus' teachings, they were rejecting him. James and John, sons of thunder, went to Jesus and said, Jesus, you want us to pray and call down fire from heaven and wipe them out, Lord? Now, be honest. Has anybody thought like that recently? Well, you're in good company with James and John. We'll call you son or daughter of thunder from now on, all right? No sound effects back there, okay? <laughs> but Jesus says, easy, boys, <laughs> easy. He says, I did not come to destroy men's lives. I came that men's lives should be saved. So when we cry out, we cry out for evil to be purged, absolutely. We hate evil, but we love people. We hate the evil that compels men to do evil deeds, but we love the people who are bound up in sin and contend for their salvation. He said, we, we pray for fire, yes, but we don't pray for fires of death. We pray for the purifying power and fire from heaven that comes by way of revival. Listen to this. Because one way... For evil to be another way for evil to be purged is when God's spirit is poured out over a land and his goodness begins to set in rapidly. Goodness leads to repentance. Repentance leads to salvation. And when people are getting saved, then the evil sin nature that dominates their lives and deeds is purged out of them and they are given a new nature and they are born again. And the evil that drove them no longer has its clutches and its hold on them. We pray for fire, yes, but we pray for the fire of revival. Listen to this in Psalms chapter 80. This is the prayer or the cry for revival of God's people in a time of national calamity. Return, we beseech you, O Lord of hosts. Verse 14. Look down from heaven and see. Visit this vine, the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand. You see, let your hand come back upon us, God, upon the Son of Man whom you've made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Listen, revive us, and we will call upon your name. That's another way of saying revival. God, awaken us, revive us, send your spirit to flourish in this land again. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. We pray like this. I'm just asking you, 
How are you praying right now? Are you praying like your prayers are reaching the throne room of heaven? Are you praying in a way where your cries are aligning with the cries of God's heart as well and the cries of the the innocent in our land? We have to pray like this, that God would send his fire and bring revival in our nation and evil would be purged out of our cities, out of our streets, and out of our communities by way of salvation in the lives of lost souls. You see, we got to do this. This whole thing that's happening right now, it's all starting to kind of come into picture for me. A few months ago, God said, hey, over the next few years, one of the things that I'm, gonna t- that I'm leading you to do is aggressively reach the younger generation. You've heard me say that. Okay, God, that's awesome. What does that look like? How do we do that? And just kind of, that's what he said. A few months go by, all of a sudden, schools are getting ready to open back up. Boom, no, no schools are meeting, or a few schools are meeting. God, we talked a few weeks ago about how God opens doors no man can shut. All of a sudden, God opens a door into the schools and into our community, and we open up e-learning sites in our campuses. Now the schools and the students are coming into the house of God. This is just a step. Hear me. This is just a step. I believe that God is asking us, will our hearts for the innocent Will our mandate to protect them, will that rise up out of his people right now? You say, Pastor, I don't know. I'm not really one to volunteer at an e-learning site. I don't consider myself a mentor. Not really one to be at a youth night on Wednesdays. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. If you are, I would love to have you there. It's a great place to be involved. But that, those are ministry departments. This, this is what I'm saying. The call to reach the younger generation aggressively has to burn culturally in the hearts of every one of God's people. This isn't a department. This is the church's mandate. We have to all hear that and say, I am called to make a difference to help be a part of reaching this younger generation. Listen intently to what the Spirit says to you on how and when to act and what that looks like. So see, get involved, whatever it might be. Look for the lives of the innocent that are hurting around you right now and ask God, what can you do about that? He's saying, I am asking you to go after and reach the younger generation aggressively. And I believe with all my heart that he is saying, if you will do that, if you will commit to that and you will stand for that, I will move every resource in heaven and put it in your hands to make the way possible for you to do that. You need a building, you need money, you need volunteers. What do you need? Because if you're really going to go after that and you're really going to pay a price to go after that, I'm going to give you everything you need to reach those young people. I'm telling you right now, my heart is set on this direction. I feel like Joshua when he said, this is what I believe the Lord is saying. At the end of the day, you've got to make a decision for yourself. I can't do that for you. But I'm saying this is what the Lord is saying right now. I believe it with all my heart. And as for me and my house, as for me and this house, we are going in the direction that God is calling us to do. Will we rise up and go out and be a church that reaches the younger generation in our land? Hallelujah. I believe that we have a people who are ready for that. I do with all of my heart. And I believe we're going to see God move in a way that's so strong and so swift, so vast and so fast, that it will never be confused with the work of man. Never. And so as we close today, this is what I want to do. I want us to 
conclude our service in a time of corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is when we all hook in, when there is very powerful unity here in the house, corporately, and targeted in prayer towards a direction that we believe is God's heart. And we're crying for that. We are praying with fervor and with burden for that. And I'm going to ask our pastors, my wife Katie, Pastor Mike and Christy to come up here, grab that mic over there, Pastor Guy. And I'm going to ask all of you to stand. And I, I want us to really hook in and I want us to pray today for the lives of the young people, for our church to be an instrument to reach the younger generation and pray in a way like we know our prayers are reaching the throne room of God. Pastor Guy, would you lead us off? Father God, I just thank you right now. I thank you for the word that was given. Thank you for that prophetic word that was given to us today, God. I'm thankful, Father, that you've given me a pastor who will not go against what your word says, Father. I thank you for the authority that it was brought with us today, that this sermon, Father, God, and Lord, this burden that he carries right now, God, I pray that the church would gather right now and they would also take on this burden. God, that we would carry that with us, Father, that we would go out into the streets, we would go out into that place and we would spread this word, Father, God. Lord, that it would be on our tongues, it would be in our thoughts, it would be in our prayers corporately as we come together, Father, that you would always remind us that there's a, there's a calling for us to pray in this. There's a calling for us to reach out and touch the, the lost and touch the innocent, Father. There's a place for us to rise up and be the church, the voice that we need to be, God. And I got to ask that you would just speak that over us right now, Father. It would just be in the hearts. It would be just, uh, it would just be ironed into us, Father, God. It would be pressed into us, Father, that it would be always be in our words, God. Let this place be a place of a safe house, God. Let it be a place where the, where the youth, where the children, where they can come, Father, and they can just be wrapped in your love, Father, God. Let us show that love that you have. Let us be a mirror of you. Let us be that image of you, Father, God, that we can bring that forth, Father. And I just thank you for what you're doing, God. I thank you for the power in this, in this word today, and I thank you for the authority of it, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this moment this morning. Lord, in, in many ways, this is the epitome of raising up a generation of game changers. Lord, it's one thing just to say that. Lord, it's another thing to move with a God-given passion towards raising up that generation. To serving those kids. Father, I just thank you for this word today. Lord, I, pray, I thank you that you spoke so clearly to Pastor Matt and to the leadership of this church. And Lord, I thank you for, for just your word being spoken all over this, this congregation here in Waterloo and last night in Jerseyville. Lord, I just pray that, that what's going on right here in Waterloo just doesn't affect this community. It just doesn't affect Jerseyville. But we're talking about raising up a generation of young people throughout this country, Lord. Lord we, Lord, we know this can happen because something this big is not just a good idea, it's a God idea. 
Lord, and, and as Pastor Matt referred to at the end, Lord, that, that people would look at what's going on in this church, what's going on in your church, and say, well, we know these people aren't capable of doing something this big. There has to be a God in it that just controls everything, the creator of the universe, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, that people would, would understand that it's a work that can only be done by you. And Father, I just pray as the people of our church hear this word today, Lord. Lord, that this is a word for the, this time. Lord, I believe that this is a word for now, for today. And I just pray that as, as Pastor Matt spoke your word so passionately, so clearly, so vividly, that it just it, it penetrated the hearts and the minds and the souls of the people here. And Lord, I just pray this word that would reach the community. Lord, that today is, is in many ways, it's the first day of, of, of the rest of this church's life and calling, Father. And that this is just, as big as this sounds and as big as this is, this is just a part of what God has called us to do as a church and as a people. Father God, I pray that you would just keep us, keep our hearts in a humble place, Lord God. Keep us in a place of repentance. Keep us in a place of being close to you as you walk us through this journey, Lord God. I pray that this house would be a house of humble people, Lord God, that are seeking your face. And that as we go after this younger generation, Lord God, that it's just your love is flowing out of this place, Lord God, that we're open and we're willing to share our experiences and, and what you've taken us through, Lord God, and we're leading them closer to you, Lord God. I pray that you would open our eyes and that you would continue to give us vision, continue to keep us in alignment with your heart, Father. And I pray that you would, as we lead the younger generation, that you would cause them to turn around and lead the generation behind them, Lord God, that they would see that this isn't a purpose just for the adults. Lord God, but it is a purpose for them. And if they're a part of this house, Lord God, that this is a calling on their lives as well. I pray that you would rise up a boldness in our youth, Lord God, a confidence in our youth and that their identity would be secure in you, Father, that they would speak in ways that adults can't speak, Lord God, and they would reach into areas that adults can't reach, Lord God, and that you would be with them and that they would see that. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, we love you so much, and I do thank you for this day, and I just feel led to pray for marriages and families. Lord, these kids that are so innocent, God, I just pray for not just our church, but just every child, God. They need to be raised in a good, strong family. Lord, we pray for those parents that if they don't know you, that they will come to know you, that you would just let people, I know people are flocking to churches right now because of this whole situation. God, and I just lift up families and especially marriages, God. I just just draw the blood of Jesus over every single family and marriage, especially in this church, that we will be a church known to have strong marriages and strong families. And I know that, um, you know, Pastor Matt and Pastor Katie, they just have an awesome family and awesome marriage. And I know that that will spill over to all of us, Lord. And I just pray that you just give us the wisdom and grace, resources, everything we need to do what you've called us to do. Amen. Hallelujah.
God, we thank you, man, for what you're doing today in this place, Lord. We thank you so much. Hallelujah. Folks, I'm telling you, we're going to go get them. We're going to go get the young people. We're going to lead them to God. We're going to build houses of refuge, places of safety where they can know what it means to be protected and to be safe. Every child deserves to know what it's like to grow up safe and secure. God is calling us to stand for that now in Jesus' name. As we move out today, I, I, I have to just, as we close, say this. Fires of revival in a nation begin with the fire of revival in our hearts. There has to be a personal revival happening in our lives where the fire is burning white hot like a flame and an inferno. And as the people of God are experiencing personal revival, it spreads more and more into the land. And a nation, a land begins to see revival. I believe it's coming. I believe we are going to see it in this generation, not a future generation. And so I ask you today, if you're here and you say, my life needs to get on fire with God. Maybe it's grown cold. Maybe it's went dormant and it was once passionate with the Lord. Or maybe you've never really had more than just a heady kind of relationship with God and you're ready for this thing to go to a new level for the fires and the embers of that flame to burn hot again once more if that's you we're going to end today by just giving praise to the Lord and worshiping but I want to pray for people who that is on their heart that's what they desire I'm just going to lay hands on and pray for people for God to stoke the flames and the fire of revival in their heart if that's you and you say pastor I need that prayer I want that prayer today then you just come on down here to the front. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask some of our ushers to come down and assist me as well. Hallelujah. Say, I'm ready. I, I want the fire of God in my life. Maybe you've experienced it and you just, you want to experience it again. You want a fresh touch from God, a fresh fire. Young people in this room as well, I just say, please, if your heart is compelled, God can touch you and he can stoke the fire and you're alive just like he can anybody else. Father, in Jesus' name, would you touch these people today, God? Hallelujah. I thank you for their heart to respond in obedience to you. I pray that you would touch them today powerfully, God. Powerfully and unmistakably. The fire from heaven would come and it would hit them in their life, God. It would burn in their soul from head to toe. Yes, come on down. God bless you. God bless you. When we pray, power of God comes and it overwhelms the natural man. You just need to allow God to do whatever it is that he wants to do in these moments. Do not hold back. I encourage you, do not resist whatever the manifestations of the move of God's spirit are in your life. Some people, they, they fall, they can't stand up. Some people feel joy. Some people weep. Some people have deep peace. Sometimes there's a prayer language. They begin to cry out. Whatever it is that God does, if you resist, it will just impede the fullness of what he wants to do. You're in a safe place. This is the house of God. 
we permit the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is that he wants to do in this place. If it's not of God, it's got to go. But it's of God, it's above God, it has its place here. Yes, yes, we follow yes. the Lord. And I believe God is going to set some people on fire today in Jesus' name.